There's no real title up right now because I'm not. Sh I wasn't sure exactly what I was going to call this. But this started out from personal experience. This past year has been, I would say, a blitzkrieg emotionally and spiritually for me and an extension to my family also. Um, a lot of things happened and a lot of difficulties were endured. And this comes out, this message today comes out of a study that I had started doing to try to you know, filter through and organize and get my head straight in these things. Because the situation actually had me to the point where I was so turned around that I was wondering if I was the one that was in error and my memory wasn't accurate and the things that were being said to me were true. So I had to ground myself. And I sought counsel. I sought counsel from pastor and friends and fellow deacons. And I sought counsel in the word of God. And I started a study. Now, I have about four pages of notes here. My study at home is 25 pages in my notebook. I would look up things that I thought were, that God spoke to me about the situation, pray over it, and then I'd write it down and then write my thoughts upon it. And out of that is what I'm coming with this. This is a very shortened version. You should call everybody's going, Ding. I'm going to start with a precept. Anger begets bitterness, and bitterness begets hate. Now, you might ask, why did I use the word beget? I mean, sometimes the old English or older English is so pregnant with meaning, it just has many, so many layers that sometimes modern English does not have. The word beget can mean ri give rise to. To bring about or to bring on. To generate. In the Old Testament, it also means to father. Like Abraham begot, you know, all the begets of the family tree from Jesus Christ. So anger gives rise to or brings about bitterness. And bitterness generates now, this is a truth, all right? If not dealt with appropriately, this will happen, all right? Even in non-Bible-believing people in counseling, they know this is a natural cycle. It's just they don't turn the scripture to deal with it. A couple more definitions. Anger. A feeling of hostility. And anger is basically, it's about the present situation to which one has found, not found a solution or means of resolving or letting go. So it's unresolved anger. It's not getting angry, it's in a state of anger and it's something that you feel that you can't fix. Or, in a lot of cases, don't want to fix myself, in my situation, I was angry. I mean foot stomping, fist clenching, yelling up and down outside, angry. And I didn't want to really give it up at the time because I was in it. 
You know, someone hits you with a sledgehammer, you're not going to respond, oh, thank you, and smile. You're going to be upset. You're going to react immediately. So anger is about some a present situation. Now, bitterness. With bitterness comes resentfulness and disappointment. Is the anger begets bitterness. It's, it's that, that naturally progression. Resentfulness. And I'm sure we've all experienced resentfulness and disappointment. And it also gives you a feeling of helplessness. And that is generated from a past situation. Which comes from unresolved anger. Feelings of lack of control. The inability to grieve. There's a lot of reasons why we may grieve. Grieve of a lost one, grieve of loss of a friend, or it grieves me, it, it hurts my heart that a certain situation happened. Now, hate. Remember, bitterness begets hate. And all these just don't quite describe it accurately, but Extreme dislike, disgust, wishing ill will, prejudice and hostility, animosity. And all of these are characterized by an unforgiving spirit, a negative and critical attitude. The natural man can't even say that. Even the believer can fall into these if they don't do something about it. It is a natural, unnatural, sinful progression. Anger begets bitterness. Bitterness begets hate. It is unfortunately a progression that happens if you do not do something about it. But isn't it amazing? How God in his word has given us so many ways and methods of dealing with so many issues. And how much of it, my friends, is dealt with bitterness, anger, and hate. And our relationship with others. Even in the Lord's prayer, it gives us a caution. In verse Matthew 6 12, 14, and 15. I'm going to start with 12. And forgiving us our debts as we forget our debtors. As we forgive our debtors. Or trespasses and trespassers. And a lot of people stop at that and they end at the Lord's Prayer with his glory and power. Amen. But then in verse 14, he actually elaborates on it. For if he forgave men their trespasses, our Heavenly Father will also forgive you. In 15 it says, But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It says nothing about unbelievers or believers in this. It's saying, if you do it, he will honor it. If you don't, He's going to give you the same measure that you have meted out or withheld. That should be very sobering. 
I struggled with my anger, and I was well on the way to severe bitterness and bordering on hate. It's, I struggled with it. I fought it. I stomped and cried, and I prayed, and I studied, and I wrote things down. I wrote down my thoughts. I journaled. My journal, just on this situation, I filled up one whole notebook which I think I'm going to throw away because most of the journaling I did was bitter and anger and, and not profitable. But it got it out of my... Sometimes you have to not only just say it, but you have to write it down to get it out of your system. And I'm not saying I'm there yet. Unfortunately, this situation is so hurtful that it, I may never get over it totally. But I can't react in kind. I don't want to turn evil for evil. So in what other ways does God tell us how to deal with this? Well, in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, right, they're both of these saying the same thing. It's just one is saying that if you know a brother has something against you, and the other one says, if you have something against your brother... It's so important that God says, put your offerings down at the steps of the temple and take care of your brother relationship. And if you've done so, you've won a brother over. And then it says, if not, it gives you steps to follow. Bring a witness. Bring a couple of witnesses. Bring it to the church. In Matthew 5, 22, he says, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, which means fool, idiot, moron, someone of no social value. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a nasty insult. Shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Again, it doesn't say non-believers get this and we get a pass. No, if anything, we are held to a higher standard of behavior by our Savior. So we don't get a pass for acting like an idiot. We do not get a pass for acting like an immature child or an unbelieving person, stomping up and down, enjoying and reveling in our anger and our distaste and our hate. Scripture is so full of warnings, too. How many of these have you looked at? It says about the tongue. The tongue is desperately wicked. You know, our actions, what we should and should not do. There are a lot of warnings. And gee, guess what? There's a lot of warnings about how we treat our fellow brothers and sisters and how we act. Now, this situation was crumbling me. It was destroy. It was denting the snot out of my sanctification. Not daily, not hourly, 
Minute by minute, I was asking for God's forgiveness. I mean, we are believers, we're not perfect. We're not there yet. We won't receive that until we have been bound. But God expects us to continue our steps forward, and he wants us to become more like his son, so he gives us situations, trials, tribulations. Satan does the same thing, but what Satan means to do to cause harm to you, God uses to bring growth and to make you more like his son. It's so important that he continuously gives us many warnings, like in Matthew 5.22, which I already said. Um, let's say Romans 12, 17 and 18. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. We're not supposed to act in kind. I found it so hard not to act in kind. Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, now this is an interesting one, as much as it depends on you, live peacefully with all men. And that doesn't say live peacefully with fellow Christians. It says live peacefully with all men. There's some hedging in there. Not, I shouldn't say hedging. I'm not sure what the right word is. It says, if at all possible, as much as it depends on you. So where is the onus, the responsibility put on that? Who has the obligation to live at peace at all men, if possible? Us, me. God puts it back in plate, back in puts it back in you, in front of you. And, and when I read that, I was, I was like, this isn't fair. This stinks. Oh, well, I didn't say that. I said other things. I didn't do this. I was not in the wrong. Why should I have to be better? Well, that was the bitterness speaking. You know, this, I've said this a couple of times in several different messages. One thing my father had said to me once many years ago, and he didn't even remember telling me this when, when I told him, he said, he says, we cannot control the circumstances that we are in, but we can control how we act in those circumstances. God isn't going to control of all things. And he may put things before us in the front of our path that will test us. And he's not testing us to see if we will pass or not. He already knows. He's using the test so that we learn something about ourselves and something about him and our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Because he wants us to become more like his son. I have several other verses here. I'm just going to tell you them. I'm not going to read them. But look them up. I mean, and this is but a drop in the bucket compared to what I have at home. 
I spent more time prepping this going, nope, that's not it. Nope, that is not it. Nope, that's not it. Nope, that's, yeah, that might be useful. Put that over here. I write all my stuff on recipe cards. In fact, I went out and bought a new batch of 250 cards. I think I used about 150 prepping. Wrote them all down. Okay, yeah, uh, that's the verse. Yeah, I remember, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm going through my notes, looking through the pages. Yeah, I'm going to use that. And I stack them up. Yes, I'm definitely going to use these. These might be useful. Yeah, I'll come back to these. <laughs> and it's a matter of, yeah, uh, 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 uh. Jenny gets her me and start throwing them on the floor. <coughs> Get a bag! You know, start ripping them up when they're not any good. So I'm going to give you a couple other verses. Colossians 3.8. Ephesians 4.31 and 32. Proverbs 23. Proverbs 15.1. Slow down. All right, you want me to start again? All right. Colossians 3.8. Ephesians 4.31 and 32. Proverbs 23, Proverbs 15, 1, Ecclesiastes 7, 9, and Hebrews 12, 15. You notice there seems to be all over the place, Old and New Testament. I just go where it leads me. Now, even in the world, This thing shook me so much that I actually had to go through outside counseling as well. And they recognized certain things, but I also went back to my own notes that I had from the counseling classes that I had taken many years ago. Now, Jenny finished that course, and she got certified in that as a counselor. I didn't finish because I got really sick the last, what was it, last two or three classes. I could not attend. I couldn't even take the test afterwards because I was just like, after that point, I was like, but these are some of the methods they gave you for dealing with interpersonal relationships, let's call it. When we step on each other's toes to be nice, More likely when we kick each other in the shins is more like it. Now, I'm going to give you these, and I'm going to also tell you which ones I failed miserably at. Address everyone involved. It's important because sometimes peripheral damage happens. I insult Mike. And in my insult, his wife is affronted too. So even though my insult was to him, I need to deal with his lovely spouse too. Avoid certain words. Now this is a good one. Because I actually had a message, remember, about little words, how much meaning and weight they have. Avoid if. But. Maybe. Any of those statements you need to avoid. I forgive you, but. What does that mean? 
What did I just do? Everything, after, everything before the but is now wiped away. If you hadn't done that, I'm sorry, we already see that the onus is on us, me, to deal with it, not them. Maybe if you had not been such a snot that day, any of those statements do not sweeten the pot. They are counterproductive. Admit, and it says admit specifics. When you're asking for forgiveness to someone, be specific in what the offense was. And if you're not sure how specific to ask, ask the person who is offended, in what way have I offended you? So that I can accurately ask for forgiveness. Well, people say, well, I asked for forgiveness. No, 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 no. Forgiveness needs to be a solid, conscious thought process. Not only in your head, but your heart. You need to truly, I can ask forgiveness and not mean it. Is that true for asking for forgiveness? No, that's mouth service. So when you ask for specifics, you have to think it through. Okay, how stupid was I? Um, how far down this path, how hard or often, I don't remember kicking them that often, but evidently I did. Acknowledge to her. Well, I said that, but I didn't mean to be harmful. That was, that was nothing mean about my statement. You're taking that out of context. Or you're being overly sensitive. It's not your feelings that were hurt. It's theirs. And you may have a thick skin. And they may too, but this one particular statement or something you said or something you even could have said offhand in passing But you're not the one that was offended. Acknowledge to her. Be aware that that wouldn't have bothered me, but you evidently bothered you, and I am so sorry, brother. I truly mean it. Forgive me. That was not my intent. I was, I was being callous that day. Don't make excuses. Accept the consequences. There's consequences for all our actions. And yes, you may have fixed, you know, gone through the process of reconciliation, asked for forgiveness, been given forgiveness, but there's still going to be a change. And it's going to take some time sometimes for that change to level itself out. And it, sometimes it actually deepens the relationship afterwards. But I wouldn't say that's a tactic you want to use. You want to go closer to your spouse and her. Yeah, that's how you get smothered in your sleep. Alter your behavior. Now this one specifically... How many times have you done the same thing and had to ask forgiveness for it again? 
same action, same thing, and you owe for the process to give it. doesn't mean that you don't mean it. It's just that, I mean, personally in my life, when I was still involved with drugs and alcohol, I would get in deep doo-doo for being really stupid. And I don't mean a little bit stupid. I mean really stupid. And I would seek reconciliation with my wife. I would ask for forgiveness. I'd say, I'm sorry. I'm going to do better. And I would behave for a while. With all honesty, I would make my best effort to behave for a while. But then I would go back to the old ways and do it again. Does that mean I didn't mean it the first time? No, it just means I'm weak and feeble like a true human, and I have sin in my life, and sin affects us. I should say, attempt to alter your behavior with the best of your efforts, being aware that you may not succeed, but you need to try again. The goal is positive, to alter your behavior. Now, those alterations may be baby steps, and there may be many steps backwards for every step forward, but you need to make progress. It needs to be something that is concerted effort. And the last one says, ask for forgiveness. Now, I think that's actually, they put it at the end, but I think that should be the first thing you should do. You've gone through all these mentally in your head, And yes, through the act of asking for forgiveness, you verbalize these things. And you make sure, are we okay, brother or sister? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. I am opening my heart to you. I'm being sincere. I expect a sincere response. If there's something that has not been addressed, let me know, and I will gladly address it. And the reason is because I care about the person or the persons that have been offended. I honestly want to be truthful in my repentance. So it's not just little steps you go through. One of the things I didn't like about this particular counseling program, they gave you these neat little steps, but there was no real meat in the advice. The pamphlet and the information literally says what I read to you, that short, without any more foundation to it. Okay, that's nice, but you need to really understand how and what you've done and how it impacts you. When you address everyone, well, I insulted you, but there were three or four people around you that thought it was a horrible thing that I said also. Well, gee, guess what? I need to de de deal with those people too. A public offense needs a public apology. And biblically, I can back that, by the way. And I, I use that myself. Private offense still may need to have a public apology. It makes you accountable. If I stand up before you all and ask forgiveness for my wife for something I've done, what does that do? 
it's not private anymore. It's not something I can hide away. It is now public, and now I have all of you for accountability. Well, gee, wouldn't you think that I'm accountable before God? There's nothing privately done. God's always there. We don't always think of that. God sees everything that we do. Not, he, not only does he see it, he knows it ahead of time. We think very linear in our thoughts. God is, there's no past, present, future. It, for him, it's all one. And when he looks at us, it is already an accomplished deed. You can't hide before him. You take that little sin that you have and you hide it away and you treat it nice and you just don't let it out into the sunlight for a while. But you're still nurturing it in secret, but it's not really secret. As I said, forgiveness, it is a decision, a decision. mentally, physically, spiritually, to let go of resentment and thoughts of revenge. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. He just said something nasty about me. Why would I be calling him revenge? Remember the unnatural progression, or I'm going to call it the unnatural progression. Anger begets bitterness. Bitterness begets hate. If that chain of events, if those begets aren't truncated, if they're not taken away, they will happen. And thoughts of revenge will come. And it's amazing how many times in myself, a perceived slight, my perception, and it's like, if anybody else heard it, says, what the heck are you talking about? That, that, they didn't say that. They didn't even imply that. I don't even think they were hinting at that. Where the heck did you get that idea from? But if it's not dealt with, that unnatural progression, all those begets, all those breathing forths will come. And once you get into a certain stage of bitterness, I can tell you from personal experience, it's like a rolling stone. It builds up momentum. And it's harder to stop. You go, whoa, wait a minute. And now you become like from the coyote, one of those wily coyote where he, you know, sets a trap with a stone and he's on the wrong side of it. And he gives that look and it runs right over. Now you have to get up and chase it and try to stop it. I tell you, it is better not to get into this cycle. It is far easier not to do it than to deal with it afterwards. Now, that being said, we are human. We are not perfect. We will make the mistakes, but the faster you deal with it, before you get to the beget, to bitterness, before you get to get to hate, the easier it is to address. It would be even better if you didn't do it. 
There are days that when I come in here to church, I have to be extremely careful. I have to guard my thoughts and guard my mouth. I've had a bad week. I've been under assault. I'm in pain. Dealing with my back issues right now is not if I'm in pain, it's how much. And when I get in pain, you can talk to my lovely wife, I get cranky on my good days. I can get downright nasty. But I have to check that. I have to use my threshold thinking. Not allow those thoughts into my mind to dwell and sit. Deal with it right away. No, that's not appropriate. That's not appropriate thought. No, he just said hi. He didn't have anything else. You could come up and say hi, and when I'm in one of those states, I may not take that well. What do you mean? I'm sorry, I just said hi, how are you doing? It has nothing to do with you. But again, guess where the onus is on responsibility? Me. We may not be able to control our circumstances, but we can control how we act in those circumstances. And I'm going to say, forget it, a decision to let go of resentment and thoughts of revenge. You do not want to dwell on the incident. My precious, my precious, put it away, won't you? My precious. Now, everybody should know what that's from, right? This says dwell, but it also means there's also a point where you hold, purposely hold on to it and not let it go. Even though you're not throwing it in the pot to stew, you're not throwing it in the trash. You don't want to dwell on the incident. You don't want to bring it up or use it against them. You do not want to talk to others about it. Now, this is opposed to seeking counsel. Talking to, do you know what my so-and-so did to me? Now, I have personally failed on that one. I stumbled greatly on that one. I was in such, I, as I said, I was well onto my way of deep bitterness into my going on borderline hate. And I probably broke that one many times. Venting can be good within certain parameters. But seeking others' opinions and getting, rallying the troops, let's say, against the situation is not. You don't want to bring it up to others. Grumbling, complaining, backbiting. And how many verses in scripture warns us of those? in the dangers and pitfalls of those. Do not allow the incident to stand between you or hinder your relationship. Again, where is the responsibility for that? Me. Now that being said, what happens if that ability to resolve or forgive or repent is not available. If you can't follow the precepts in Matthew, 
if you can't use scripture to deal with it, if that avenue has been shut down, communication has been severed, what do you do? I can't bring a witness to this person saying, hey, in my situation, all communication was cut off. And any attempt to communicate and deal with it was met with venomous resistance. I was made to pay for wanting to do the right thing. I would love to tell you the details of it, but it would not profit me anything because it would not help me in my situation now. I finally got to the point where I think I've dealt with my resentment. At least I have it under some control. And I'm not on my way to hate. But I have to treat this person with neutral feelings. I neither dislike them nor do I like them. I do not pray for them, but I don't wish them harm. God says that's not right, but at this point, that's where I have to be. So what happens if those avenues that God has given us have been severed, have been taken away? Now, I spent a lot of time in Scripture saying, God, I know what I'm supposed to do. But I can't proceed. Those avenues have been severed. Those avenues have been bricked up and walled up and chained and barred from me. You tell me I need to take care of this, but I can't. At first I was unwilling. Now it's I can't. So what do you do? Does the word of God tell us how to handle it. Yes, it does. And sometimes, God makes you work for the answer. Oh, I can't find it. It's too easy. What lessons have you learned the best, the hard lessons that you fought for? What victories do you have in your life are the ones that you fought hard for to overcome? It forges character. The refining pot is for silver, the furnace is for gold, but God trieth the heart. Now, in all of this, I'm not a happy camper. I'm still not a happy I'm in a better place than I was before. And my sanctification is still dinged up and banged up and dented badly, but it's still there. I will pray God for this. I don't want to be prideful in that statement because the minute you say that, God says, <laughs> guess what? I'm not done yet. The minute you think you arrived, you haven't. (laughs) 
because there's an important thing to understand. In order to worship God, we must do justice to our fellow man. What does it say in Matthew? It is so important, your relationship with your fellow brother and sister, your fellow man, that you leave your gift at the steps of the temple and take care of that first. Because if your relationship with your brother is not correct, how can your relationship be God and you be correct? It's not. It won't. You have, well, how do you fight the bitterness? That was my hardest part. How am I going to fight the bitterness? So that it doesn't progress to hate. I was well on my way. There were many times that I cursed, God forgive me, hellfire and damnation upon this person. Raising my, feet, my fist up, physically screaming in anger. How do you fight that? How do you fight that progression? Well, guess what? <laughs> you have to forgive. You have to give it over to God and let him handle it. But, 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 no, there's no but. And I still pick it up. And I'm going to lay it back down. This is God. This is your battle. His rod and his staff goes before me. That's mine. He protects you. He promises to do so. You can call him on that promise. But it's not easy. Because what is it? I don't know about you, but me, I like the control in my life. I like to be in control. I don't like situations that I feel that I'm out of control, that are not in my grasp. When I was still working, I had a very dangerous job. I could put a 200-foot crater in the ground. One of the first things I did when I got this job and I realized how dangerous it was, I went up by death and dismemberment through my insurance to the maximum I could get. So if I get cloaked, my wife would take care of it. And if I really goobered, you wouldn't be finding much of me. They'd be picking my, my remains with a dustpan and broom. And I prayed a lot. And I learned everything I could learn about that equipment. I learned every reason why all these safety protocols are in place, what they're there for, and why. But guess what? Stuff still happens. Accidents happen. That's why they call them accidents. They don't call them on purposes. But my response was, I did everything I could to learn about the equipment. I did everything I could so if I did die, my wife would be taken care of. And then I prayed a lot. This verse came up, and it's one of my favorites. I, I've always said it's one of my favorites, but I used it so much. I guess I don't want to say it became my mantra, because then you get this other religious idea involved. You know, with constant prayer, you know... 
be not like the heathens of constant repetition, thinking that God will hear you through the repetition. I would say it a lot to remind myself that it's not my battle, it's God's. This verse, I got it in my wallet. I got it in my Bible. I got it in my car. I got it a couple places in my truck, I should say, because I keep on forgetting where I put it, so I write another one, put it somewhere else, and I'm looking for the other one, I find, oh, that's the one I missed. But it's there. I have it in my home. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall make your path straight. There's a promise there. Is trust in the Lord a little bit? Sometime? Part of the time? 50%? No, it says trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then it says, lean not. And I actually like the old English because don't lean on it. I like the idea. Lean not upon your own understanding. Don't use worldly methods to fix the problem. And then it also says, acknowledge him. That verse itself, I could do whole, I think I did one on this, but I didn't do it thick enough. Acknowledge him in all your ways. What does that mean? When I'm laying down, when I'm standing, when I'm walking, when I'm driving, be aware that God is there in everything and that he is working in everything, even though the mundane, we call mundane, his hand is involved. The very fact that there's a night and then we wake up in the morning, that the sun rises again, that we breathe our next breath, we have our heartbeat as our next beat. It is all in the providence of God. Be aware that he is there in our time of tribulation and turmoil. That he loves us in that time. And he wants us the best for us. He wants us to be like his son. He wants us to grow. He wants us to mature. There's so many things about acknowledging him. I could spend a day thinking about all the wondrous things. The handiwork, the work of his hand. The majesty of the stars that he placed in the heaven. The creation of all things. The creation of the earth. Do you realize that the earth right now in this, this part, we're coming into winter, is actually closer to the sun than we are in the summer. And what stops us from being a roasted tomato on a spit is that God in his providence tilted our axis a certain way. And in the summer, we don't get as much direct sunlight, but the axis is tilted again. So we get just enough. Because if it wasn't that way, we'd either be roasting or fried with radiation, frozen. 
I can't look at that and not see the handiwork of God in the creation of this world. And that's only part of acknowledging it. And he has a promise. He will make your path straight. And I'm going like, Lord, yes. I'm calling you on it. I'm trying my best to use all my heart in trusting in you. I'm trying my best to not lean on my own understanding. Another way, another thing, another promise in dealing with when you don't have those avenues. Our response, be in Proverbs, I'm sorry, Proverbs 12, 21. Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't allow yourself to be washed over. I was being washed over in this situation, and I was drowning. But I also wasn't treading water either. I was just sort of like caught in the flood and going, what the heck? We cannot use the tools of Satan to fight Satan. Turn the other cheek. All these principles that say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. This person is treating me spitefully. Well, that verse is specifically talking about being slapped on the cheek, and in the context, it's within because of religious persecution. What is our response to religious persecution? Not the same as if someone's trying to mug me. That's a different set of rules. That's a a different set of responses. Overcome evil with good. Now, I'm still not there. I can't wish this person well. I can't even actually think about this person without getting upset still. But I don't wish them evil. James 1.10. Here's a warning. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Romans 12.19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Remember I said the onus is on me now with those, those hours that have been shut down? No. It's now God's. And I can take comfort knowing that God does what he promises to do. And yes, I hate letting go and letting him control, but I never had control. Then he gives, I'll give you one more warning. It says, in Leviticus 19.17, Thou shalt not hate thy neighbor in thine heart, but shall in all wise rebuke thy neighbor and suffer sin upon him.
we can't hold it in our heart. We can't hold it there. I'm trying my best with the situation not to keep it in my heart. I don't want it to be my push and put it back in my pocket. I'm doing my best at this point not to deal with it. And at this point, I can, the only way I can deal with it is not to deal with it. But God brings it up often enough that I have to work on it. Because when I got to that point, I thought that, oh, sugar. And I, I didn't say sugar. <laughs> what am I doing? How can I do this? All these avenues that I should take are not there. I'm stuck. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. And in all ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. That one keeps on coming up and coming up, reminding me it's not my fight. And I don't give it over to God to say, God, punish this person for what they've done. Well, I probably did take that, but that's not what you mean. They will be judged by God upon what they've done, and I will be judged by God for what I did or did not do. But their judgment is not my responsibility. It's not my purview. It's not in my area of control. It's God's. I don't even want to shelter it in my heart. So at this point in my life, to deal with this, I can't even think about it because if I think about it, I go instantly to bitterness and I start in my heart resenting and going back on that path. But I pray that God will soften my heart. That's how I've dealt with it, and that's what I learned, and I hope sharing this with you will be helpful to you, too. Because the unnatural progression, and I hate to say this again, it is a given sure thing. You could put money on it and be rich. Anger begets bitterness. Bitterness begets hate. It is a truth. So deal with your anger because unaddressed anger will lead to bitterness. And bitterness will lead to those feelings of lack of control and all those other parts of it, that, that, that multifaceted bitterness, that quickly rolls into hate. Not wishing someone ill. Nah, I, can't, I don't care about this person. Right now. No, hate. I mean unadulterated, plain, vile, I wish they were dead and judged and in hell. It's not our job to condemn someone. It's not our judge, job to judge someone else. That's God. Now, if a brother and sister are not behaving well, I can say, hey, you're not acting like a brother or you're not acting like a Christian. That's not judgment, that's a statement. That's different. But that progression will, I tell you, it will happen if you don't deal with it biblically, if you don't deal with it appropriately. You have to deal with it. And there's a point where you can't, I can't deal with it anymore. It's God's purview. 
Praise God because he controls all things. 